Hello, and welcome to the Precious Little Sleep Podcast. Today, the crew will be delving into the issue of early morning wakings. Now, all young kids wake up at, oh, dark my butt hour of the morning, and part of that is just life. But what is normal versus what is too early to start the day? What causes waking up really early? And what strategies can you employ to encourage your child to sleep into a more reasonable hour? Let's talk about it. My name is Ashby, and today I'm joined by Elizabeth and Melissa. Our topic for today is going to be early wakings. This is one of the most asked questions that we get about baby and toddler sleep, probably apart from night wakings. The early wakings are a hot topic. And yeah, I think it's one sure. of those, yeah, it's one of those things that is in the list of facts you don't know about parenting until you do it. And people are, uh, blissfully unaware that their days of sleeping in till 8, 9, 10 a.m. are over when they have a baby. Yeah, there's that meme that goes around with that baby and it says like, let it, let me put it this way. You will never sleep in again. Oh, that sounds horrible. <laughs> and yet it is true. It's true, isn't it? And I, so I work with college students and man, they do not understand that they want to be out late. So coming home from field trips, they're like, let's stop at the gas station. Let's stop at this restaurant. And I would say, I have to get home. My baby's going to be up at 6am regardless. Oh, and you probably say, well, I have to be up at six. And they say, well, it's Saturday. Why do you have to be up six? And you say, you just, wow, you don't know. You don't know. Exactly. So I guess the first thing we need to be clear about with early wakings is that this podcast is more of a managing the problem podcast, and we need to know that our ability to control these early wakings is limited. The meme that Melissa mentioned is correct. The days of sleeping till 9 or 10 a.m. are probably over for a while. And this is because babies are naturally early risers. So you probably heard of the difference between owls and larks. The owl being a person who, if left to their own devices, would go to bed late and wake up later. Whereas the lark is a person who, left to their own devices, would go to bed early and wake up early. And for little children, young babies and toddlers, and sometimes all the way through later childhood and puberty, our children are larks. And now, this is not the case for every child, but for a lot of children, they will be up at 6 a.m., whether you put them to bed at 7 p.m. or 10 p.m. And a lot of people think, oh, if I just put them to bed real late, maybe they'll sleep in, and then it doesn't work, and they're just getting less sleep overall. Yeah. Can I we're- interject to talk about ages here? Because I want to say, I mean, my experience, obviously, is all going to stem from my own kids, but sure. my six-year-old just started sleeping in. Okay. So I, we're basically talking about an age range Mm -hmm. in my experience from birth until, you know, maybe age five, six years old. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's not to say that, um, kids don't make up lost sleep from something like late bedtimes. But if you, keep your kid up late, chances are they're not going to sleep in late the next day until they've matured quite a bit. Right. Yeah, I think the age at which that transition happens can vary, but those toddler years, that's not the time in general. And it's also important to understand how much sleep is reasonable to expect of a young child. Well, we typically say 10 to 12 hours per, per night 
um, is average. And that can vary based on age and especially on how much your child is napping during the day. And just sleep needs in general vary. Some children are low sleepers, sorry, and some children are big sleepers. Hooray for you. <laughs> and um, if napping, if they're taking really good chunky naps, you know, some people say, oh, my child takes, my 10-month-old takes, you know, two one-and-a-half-hour naps, but, you know, is up at 6 and to bed at 7. Well, that's, you know, that's 11 hours at night, and that's three hours during the day. That's pretty good. On the other hand, if your child's taking small crap naps during the day, uh, you might be able to push for a longer duration at night. Um, so, yeah, the, the ability to control all this is limited, and I know that's not a terribly hopeful message, but it can also help us kind of manage expectations so we're not constantly trying to tweak things to get past that 6 a.m. time. Uh, sometimes that can just lead to the cycle of you know, messing with things too much, a thing that really is uh, the child is already sleeping enough and too much tampering with that can make things worse. Yeah, there are definitely things you can do to sabotage yourself and create early morning waking. Mm -hmm. But if you are doing everything right, some kids will still wake early regardless because that's just who they are. Oh, and I can see everyone just saying, please tell me that isn't my case, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, I want to say that, like, um, you... In an ideal world, you could control how your baby parses sleep mm -hmm. through the day and yes. night. Yeah. But in reality, like you just can't. So, <laughs> you know, I often I I found like especially with all the you know thousands of thousands of people on the um on the precious little sleep Facebook group that you either have an amazing night sleeper mm -hmm. and a crappy day napper or an amazing napper and kind of a crappy night sleeper. I'm not saying it's always those two extremes, right, right. but that seems to, to be the case often. And, and there's basically no such thing as a, a perfect sleeper as mm -hmm. a baby. So that your idea of managing expectations is really spot on. So I guess the most important thing uh, that we need to know to avoid early wakings is something we addressed in length in episode six, which is called diagnosing your child's sleep problems. And that is your older baby or toddler needs to be falling asleep independently at night. Because if they are not, then throughout the night, uh, your child will require your assistance to fall back to sleep. And this becomes more acute earlier in the morning because that biological drive to sleep is just lighter at 5 a.m. than it is at, say, 9 p.m. Okay, and I think the next thing that's important to know about early wakings is that we want there to be sufficient wake time during the day so that our child can accrue enough sleep debt to fall asleep and stay asleep for a long stretch. So when your child is on multiple naps, usually children less than a year or 18 months, that last wake time, the one between last nap and bedtime, is going to be the longest. That's because they are uh, accruing that sleep debt for the longest period of sleep, which is nighttime. So this is why for babies in the six to one year, six months to one year range, a lot of people find that their child does well with a two, three, four schedule. That's two hours wait time in the morning and then four hours between last nap and bedtime. And uh, if your child's wait time, well, that's a common error we see is that the wait times are staying constant throughout the day and they're just not long enough. So the child's just not tired enough. They might be tired enough to fall asleep, but not to stay asleep 
Yeah. Sometimes people will say like, oh, but my kid is really fussy or really tired in the evenings. Lots of kids are really fussy and really tired in the evening, but it really helps set them up for a good night's sleep for the whole night um, if they have appropriate amount of wake time. And sometimes that just means like they're like, Sometimes even my big kid is crabby in the evenings, but it doesn't always just fix things if I just put him to bed early. It does oh, and like- I want to say that what you could fall into this trap of thinking, no, 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 my baby's going to be overtired and mm-hmm. unable to fall asleep. Yeah. I think that that's a condition that is particular probably to the newborn to around six month stage. But starting at around six months, you can you can stretch those wait times yes. a little bit without everything you know exploding into right. a fireball upon you. That first eye rubbing, while that three months that might mean oh we better get to bed, you know as your child gets older they can they can kind of they're more resilient with that kind of thing. Yeah, it's I find for most babies it's better to err on the side of overtired than Absolutely. undertired. Well because said. for most babies, undertired will cause a lot more problems than overtired will. Uh, undertired pretty much guarantees they won't sleep well because they're just not tired, right? Whereas overtired is kind of hit or miss. So another problem we see is too much napping. Uh, you know, for a lot of these younger age ranges, 11 to 14 hours of night sleep of sleep is average within a 24-hour period. So that's naps plus nighttime. So if your child's taking, you know, that three hours of naps during the day and then they're going to bed at 7 p.m., you know, it's unlikely they're going to sleep more than 10 or 11 hours after that. And 10 hours might be normal. So that would put you at that 5 a.m. wake up. Yeah. And that can go hand in hand with not enough wake time. Too Mm -hmm. much napping. They can go together for a one-two sucker punch. Yes, the sucker punch. Right, and so, you know, you can imagine your baby's waking up at 5 a.m. Well, they're going to need their first nap around 7 or 8 a.m., and you that's not what you want because then they're going to maybe take a really big first nap. Then you'll have a longer, you know, wake time in there. Then they might take a really big second nap, and then, you know, you set yourself back up again for a later bedtime, which, as we already discussed, doesn't necessarily yield you a later wake time in the morning. And on the other hand, a too early bedtime is also not necessarily the answer. Uh, We often see people putting their kid to bed at 6.30 p.m., then they have a 4.30 a.m. wake up. Uh, That's within the realm of normal. Or that 6.30 p.m. bedtime, and there's a 7 a.m. wake up, but there's a lot of night wakings because a child is just in bed longer than that average of 11 hours in that case. Yeah, I think like sometimes everybody, like sometimes early bedtimes are presented as like the holy grail of fixing all sleep issues, but you have to realize that your average kid will only sleep 10 to 12 hours at night and asking them to sleep more than that is just it's very hard for most kids to do. So if your baby is sleeping 10 or 11 or 12 hours when they wake up, like if you're putting your kid to five to bed at 5 p.m., then I would expect a no later than a 5 a.m. wake up because oh. that's 12 hours. Yeah, I think a good rule of thumb is take whatever time your child generally wakes up and come back 11 hours. That's probably the earliest bedtime you should be shooting for 
especially if you're having sleep problems. I mean, if your kid is sleeping solidly 12 hours, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you do that, continue doing it until it stops working. But I think that's a, it's a good rule of thumb. Gosh, be that is to- I completely agree with that because I, I have, you know, it, for my kids, I, I tended to put them to bed early if mm-hmm. they didn't get um, very good naps during the day and they were in daycare and often they just didn't get, <clears throat> excuse me, good <clears throat> naps. But, um, but I never shot, shot for more than 12 hours yeah. in, you know, earlier than I expected them to wake up. So, you know, like if they were tending to wake up at 5 a.m., which they did for a while when they were babies, um, you know, 5.30 or 6 p.m. bedtime wasn't out of the realm of possibilities. But I then didn't expect them to, you know, sleep past 5 or 6 in the morning either. Right, right. Yeah, with daycare, you know, sometimes your ability to control those naps is limited. But um, And you might try to make up a little of that sleep. But like you said, expecting, you know, more than that 11 or 12 is setting you up for a very early waking. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some solutions here. Like, what can we yeah. do if our child is sleeping? We're putting our kid to bed at 6.30 because they're just tired at that point. But then they're waking up at 5.30, and that is, while that's 11 hours, I mean, that is not a desirable schedule for most families. So, yeah, I don't want to be up at that time of the morning. Yeah. I don't know about everybody else, but I like sleeping at 5.30 in the morning. And I'm sure there's some families with, you know, different non-traditional work schedules. But if your kid's going to bed at 6.30, there's probably not spending a whole lot of time with either one or both parents. And that can be challenging in the evening for people. Mm-hmm. So what we're going to try to do is shift that schedule forward. So if your child's going to bed at 6.30 and waking up at 5.30, we're going to try to see if we can get that to a point where you're going to bed at 7.30 and waking up at 6.30. 6.30 being a very reasonable wake-up time for a young child. And so what we, we also discussed this in the episode 6, and that's a consistent bedtime and why that's important to good sleep. So we don't want to make that jump all at once. We want to shift the child's schedule 15 minutes a day until we get to the desired bedtime, or even more slowly if you can. And that means we're shifting bedtime later by 15 minutes, We're shifting nap times later by 15 minutes. And if we have the control to do this, if there are regular meal times, we're also shifting those meal times forward 15 minutes because all of that is involved in regulating that sleep circadian rhythm. Additionally, we want to manipulate light and sleep hygiene. So we want to make sure it's dark in that room when they're in bed. It's dark all the way through the morning. If there's that early morning sunshine, if you're like Elizabeth and you live in Alaska and it's light 50% of the year. You might have some blackout blinds on those windows. Maybe there's some white noise going in the room. Uh, This is good for soothing young babies, but it's also good for keeping the sound of the trash truck or the neighbor's dog from waking you up at four when that sleep drive is light. Yeah, and this even can apply to older kids with early wakings too. Like Mm -hmm. our blackout blinds broke over the winter and I didn't think anything of it because the winter, winter, you know, it is it's dark. It's dark until like seven thirty, eight o'clock. And so then the need for the blackout blinds is lesser. But then now that it's gotten to be summer and it's light earlier, I have definitely noticed a difference in the time that my kid is waking up and that time is much earlier. And I'm going to derail us a little bit here to say, I hear so many people commenting on, they think they're introducing a sleep crutch to their babies with a darkened room and with white mm. noise. My kid, 
sleep, you know, in twilight, or they're never going to learn to sleep in a silent room. And, you know, it turns out that's, that's untrue. You know, like, again, my older one is six years old, and we go camping in the summer, there's 24 hours of daylight in Alaska Mm -hmm. in the summer when we go camping. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee it's hellish getting a young child to sleep in that situation. And I would resort to pulling the sleeping bag over their, you know, (laughs) struggling bodies while they're overtired at 11 PM. But, um, but my son now he can go to sleep in broad daylight Mm -hmm. and at nine in the morning, you know, like we stay up a little bit later when we're camping, but nine in the morning, if he's still tired and doesn't want to get up yet, he again just pulls the sleeping bag over his face and stays asleep. So that crutch actually did naturally disappear. And I had that same worry and same with the white noise. I keep it in my kid's room because it mutes out the sounds going on around, like Ashby pointed out. Um, but they can sleep without it. I just do it, you know, for bedtime to, you know, and everybody's still up and they want to be up too. They don't want to hear the noises. Mm-hmm. Yeah, white noise is um, typically one of the easier um, sleep sleep crutches or associations, if you want to call them, to wean off of because you can just gradually um, reduce the volume right. until you're down to nothing. So, yeah, and a lot of people sleep with a fan in the room. I mean, if you're you know in a dormitory or something, you might just have that white noise for even in your adult life. Yeah, yeah. and when, when we're shifting the schedule, we can also use uh, light manipulation. So if we're trying to shift that schedule later, which when we're talking about early wakings, that's probably what we want to do. We're going to try to introduce um, bright light in the evenings. So that half hour, hour before bed, um, you're in a lighter environment if you can manipulate it that way. And when you're up at that unpleasant hour of the morning, try to keep things dim. This is not the time to run outside in the Alaska summer sunlight or... Turn on all the lights in the house and say, okay, we're up. You know what? You might keep things dim, keep uh, reading those, just some quieter morning activities while you're shifting the schedule. And that can, that light manipulation helps the body's circadian rhythm adjust to a slightly later time period. So, yeah, and use it in conjunction with the bedtime routine. So, you know, you maybe go outside and run around you know, a little bit in the evening later than you normally would. But then, you know, within half an hour, an hour of the bedtime that you have in mind, start to tone things down. That bedtime routine is like your best friend when you're trying to get your Mm -hmm. kid um, to settle down into bed, right? Now there's an expectation. We're going to brush our teeth. We're going to put on our pajamas. We're going to read books. Like, you know that bedtime is coming. And so... Just incorporate that brightness in the evening just ahead of that bedtime routine. Yeah. Yeah. For little kids that can't read clocks, the bedtime routine is like a really good cue to them that this is bedtime because they can't look at the clock and see, oh, it's 7 p.m. That means it's bedtime. Right. So all of this that we're talking about here is for your slightly older children, probably older than six months, toddlers, three-year-olds, etc., if you have a really new uh, young baby, uh, newborn, zero to three months, zero to six months, first of all, you should check out our newborn sleep podcast. But you should also consider that manipulating the schedule in the way that we're talking about here is really not age appropriate. Because for a newborn, they may have an enormous variation in the number and duration of naps each day. There's not a consistent pattern. So if your newborn has woken up at 5 a.m. 
for a week, you know, that's not a time to make an enormous adjustment because these adjustments are going to happen within the next several months outside of your control anyway. So if you're starting that manipulation, trying to manipulate that schedule so closely at that age, you know, you're setting yourself up for constant change and that constant worry of what do I need to be doing to change it? We want to wait till our child was really in a more regular pattern, which usually happens after six months before we use a lot of these strategies to manipulate that early wake time. Yeah, especially since the circadian until eight weeks or so, like mm-hmm. I would say any any schedule manipulation before then is kind of up pointless. Absolutely. Yeah, at that age, we're just really watching wake times and adding that soothing. See our newborn sleep podcast for that. Now, so, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so, you know, uh, for the, for talking about some of the early morning wake up strategies, um, you know, snooze button feeds is what, what we call them. Um, when, after your baby's been weaned, um, for the night, which, you know, is common around eight or nine months, right? At, at, At nine months, they really don't need to eat at night anymore. Yet, a lot of babies will still be waking up at four or 4.30 or five. And first of all, they're not happy. Um, so you know, they're still tired when your baby wakes up super cranky, you know, they're still tired. So there might be something you can do to get them back to sleep. And for me, I just decided that that 4 a.m. wake up was legitimately the first feed of the morning. And I would take the baby into bed with me and nurse and we'd fall asleep, about fall asleep together until around 7 a.m. or so. And that just stopped working when I fully weaned. Mm -hmm. So, you know, after age one, and that was the last one that I dropped with both of mine, you know, it's like, well, I'm not making any milk anymore. And besides, I'm bringing you into bed with me to suck on my dry boob, which seems really weird. You know? oh, seems but I mean, maybe there was still like a little bit in there. But, you know, it's just a snuggling, cuddling thing um, at that point, which there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, at some point they're not getting the satisfaction that they need from that either. And then they're just waking up. Yeah. So our four, four thirty ish AM snooze button feed at the time of weaning became wake up. Mm-hmm. And, and that naturally creeped forward to something like five or five thirty, which also, you know, like Ashby said earlier is really painful, but it was a painful reality that mm-hmm. I just accepted for several months. Yeah. Both of mine just stopped waking up at five, five, in the morning at 18 months old. So there was like a five to six month period where they were waking up early, but they were waking up happy and they were going on 10 plus hours of sleep. So I sucked it up, but other people have employed other methods to stretch that early morning time later. Yeah. So I think as may want to comment on those. If you have a real young baby, you know, that might be the time to slip them back in the swing too at that early morning because like we've said before, that biological sleep drive is very light at 4 or 5 a.m. So Elizabeth added the quote-unquote snooze button feed. Other people might add the swing. Some other people might do a little co-sleeping in the morning. And these are all great strategies to get you to a civilized hour. And sometimes it's your only option to getting to that civilized hour. Yeah, especially for um, younger babies, I think this works. Um, the best, like mm-hmm. six months old, seven months old, eight months old, et cetera, where your two-year-old is probably not going to go for the early morning co-sleeping because they're going to be like, it's awake time. Hey, mom, Let's wake play. up. Mommy, get up. 
my, my, my son would say, mommy, get up, open eyes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we do have a bone to throw everyone, sort of a lifeline, because at age two, we can employ some more strategies that are more appropriate for more cognitive, more cognitively advanced child. And here at Precious Little Sleep, we're fans of the toddler alarm clock. Uh, have either of you used anything like this before? I did. We have a toddler alarm clock, and I shouldn't comment because ours was a major fail. Oh, oh my no. kids think it's a fun thing to play with on their bedside table at night. Well, that's not uh, the message of hope and change we were hoping for, Elizabeth. <laughs> but <laughs> Melissa has more exciting news, I think. Melissa, has we don't story? actually. Okay. We don't actually have a toddler alarm clock, but we did teach my older son that. He doesn't come out of his room in the morning until me or my husband go and get him. So Which is essentially like, the same thing, right? Right. Say, mom is the alarm clock at that point. Mom or dad. Yeah. So the toddler well, alarm clock. Say, our toddler alarm clock was really useful for nap time. It okay. has a nap hour. So when both my kids were dropping their naps and we're doing crib hour, you know, the green light goes on, the alarm goes off when an hour is up. You know you've been in, in your crib or room for an hour. Hallelujah. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the toddler alarm clock, you know, they're, different places sell these devices. And essentially what it is, it's a programmable nightlight that, in many cases, it turns it's red all night. And then you could program it for 6 a.m. and then it will turn green. And that's when your child is about to get up. Or a person could also use a nightlight on a timer. Like the nightlight is off. You set that timer for 6 a.m., then the nightlight turns on. That's a more cheap DIY method. The idea here is that if your child is regularly waking at 5 a.m. and everything else is in place, they're falling to bed at, uh, independently at an appropriate time with appropriate wake time during the day, then you might, but they're waking at 5 a.m., you might set that toddler alarm clock for the first night that you use it at 5.15 a.m. So just little increments each day. We want to make sure we're really communicating this, you know, practicing with the toddler, talking to them about it. This is usually for the two and older age group saying, so the expectation is that you stay in bed until the light turns green. And we can frame this positively. It's a fun, fun new toy. Hopefully it's not like Elizabeth's kids where uh, it's just a toy. We're framing it positively. We can role play during the day on how this works. And then... The key here is that when you say you do not get out of bed until 5.15 or mom does not come get you until 5.15, you stick to that. Mom does not come get you at 5.15. If mom comes in at 5 when they start calling for you, then they learn that they don't have to wait for that alarm clock, right? Yeah, they've learned that the clock is pointless. The, the clock, clock is a lie. <laughs> yes, mom's, mom, dad, your reinforcement behavior is going to mean a lot more than that clock, right? Yeah, for sure. What you do will be louder than what you tell them. So if you tell them, oh, you have to stay in here until it's green, but then you come get them every day consistently when it's not green, they will learn, like, well, it doesn't really matter if I stay in there until it's green because mom is going to come get me anyways. Yes. So, Melissa, what do I do if my kid is waking at 5 and it's not green yet, but they're saying, mom, just crying, screaming, making a fuss. What do I do? Well, I would wait until the time that your clock is set for, unless it's something like they've thrown up in their bed or whatever, then, right. But if it's a normal, just like, 
the they're just angry because they want to be playing then it's like anything it's like they're angry about how you won't give them a second cookie at lunchtime like yep that's that's toddler life it's boundary setting yeah toddlers said. being angry about every boundary that you set that's toddler life so yeah their their job so, is to push the boundaries your job is to set the boundaries i want to i want to add that you know what if your child wakes up at 5 a.m mm-hmm. and their alarm is set for 5 30 and you let them fuss and they go back to sleep Ooh. which is magical for everybody so then what do you do at that point? Do you wake them up at 5.30 because that's the time you've set for them to wake up? Or do you let them keep sleeping till whenever? And I would suggest that you basically wake them up at what, if they're still asleep, that you wake them up at a time that you would like to set your schedule regularly right. for the day and for the foreseeable future. Yeah, right, I was going to say, go ahead. I was going to say, let them sleep as well, unless 30 is the time that you have to get up to get them ready for daycare or school or whatever. Um, I would say, let them sleep. Right. And so what I would suggest is, you know, if your baby wakes up at five and you've implemented this new rule that I'm not going to get you until 6am because you need 10 plus hours of sleep and they fall back asleep that means that they were still tired and that means that they needed more sleep. And that means that they're actually asking you to set their wake time later than they naturally woke up that day. And it means that it's working. It means it's working. And either way, when they wake up, it'll be green. And that's really what matters. Is it? Well, see, that's where, that's where our toddler alarm clock didn't work because the green light, would go off after 15 minutes oh, or so. Okay. So it's like if they weren't awake, you know, if they weren't there watching it yeah. in that 15 minute time period, then so just do a little research and get yeah. Or the after I more of the story is don't buy a toddler alarm clock that the green light turns off after 15 right. minutes. Yeah. Now I wanted to address. Well, you know what? Honestly, okay. a lot of them are annoying like that. I mean, I spent 30 bucks on this alarm clock. It's battery operated. The, for the, you know, the first time it just sucked batteries because my son was just hitting the light every, you know, minute at bedtime and drain the batteries that way. The light drains the batteries. Yeah. The beeping does not. There is a beeping, but, you know, the beeping kind of, it undercuts you because yeah. if your baby's falling back asleep and then this loud beep goes off 15 minutes later, you don't want that to happen. So I'm going to put, that's another good reason to use the nightlight with a timer. I think if people want to DIY, because that wouldn't go mm-hmm. off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes simpler can be better. So I, don't I necessarily feel like you have to go for the fanciest toddler alarm clock on the market. Yeah. I also want to go back so, to something Elizabeth said about waking cranky. So Elizabeth was saying, and I think this is generally true. If your child's waking cranky, that probably means that they, you could eke a little more sleep out of them. But what happens if your child always wakes cranky or they're sleeping 11 hours and they're waking cranky? That's just them. That's just them. That's what I think, too. I mean, some kids cranky or they just go through phases. Some kids are just cranky in the morning. Some people are just cranky in the morning. I am cranky in the morning. Oh, yes. The I need my coffee folks, right? Yeah. I mean, we're all probably those folks. 
Your baby is not saying they need coffee, though. They're not saying that. Don't give your baby coffee. We are not endorsing coffee for babies. (laughs) If there's independent sleep, if they're that amount of sleep, they're sleeping in 24-hour period is age-appropriate, that cranky waking can just be who they are. Yeah. And well, I'm you're just not saying, a- you know, if they've slept nine hours and they're waking up, you know, yawning and sobbing and like a- every, you know, movement you make sets them into a tirade of crying, then they're probably still tired, coupled right. with the fact that nine hours is not really enough night sleep. Right. Yeah. And you don't know, I think, if you are also sleeping at this time, you don't know they may have been awake and quiet for 10 minutes before they got cranky. So they may not have been, like, cranky immediately upon wake-up if they're sleeping a decent amount because I'm assuming in this scenario that you are also sleeping. Right. Another thing is what happens if your baby has an appropriate schedule but they were not falling asleep independently and thus were waking all night long to nurse or to be rocked back to sleep. And then mm. you implemented sleep training. So you sleep trained. Now your baby's falling independently at bedtime. And let's say before you were having seven night wakings. And now you have two night wakings where you're feeding quickly and your child's going back to sleep. It's likely that your child's going to wake earlier after sleep training because that sleep is more consolidated. So before that sleep, that 11 hours of sleep they were sleeping may have been spread out over 12 hours because there were so many night wakings. After that sleep training, when those night wakings are reduced, that span of sleep might only be 11 hours long. Especially in the situation if you had a split night going on before Mm -hmm. where they were sleeping from like 7 to midnight and then again from like 4 to 8, they're probably not going to sleep until 8 again if you solve your split night problem. That's right. I want to mention one other thing, which is that, um, you know, when I first started looking at the Precious Little Sleep uh, blog, this was one of the first things I looked up was the solution to the early morning waking. And I I saw something that Alexis had posted, which really resonated with me, which is early morning wakings are not a time for cry it out. Mm -hmm. If your baby has hours that's enough sleep and letting them endlessly cry is not really teaching them anything. Right. Right. It's it's okay to let your baby fuss if they've not had 10 plus hours of sleep and let them go back to sleep. You know, hopefully they'll be able to get back to sleep after that fussing, but I'm going to just share an anecdote here that I think matches that, you know, um, a kind of schedule anecdote. So I asked one of um, one of our, our friends and other admins on the uh, Precious Little Sleep Facebook group, you know, what her situation was like, because she never did the snooze button feed, that early morning um, breastfeeding. Her baby went to bed at 8.30 um, p.m. and often woke between 5 and 6 a.m., maybe 6.30. So we're talking about, like, now kind of the 9 to 10 hours of sleep. And... She would just leave him to, you know, fuss or cry or babble or whatever he was doing. Um, He often went back to sleep and then would get up at eight in the morning. So now we're talking about Mm -hmm. 11 and a half hours of sleep. Well, minus however long he spent fussing in the morning. So maybe 11 hours, which is appropriate. Um, If he didn't go back to sleep, they would just get him up at seven. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so you're not leaving your baby to endlessly cry themselves back to sleep. Like in it's the not morning. like bedtime where you may commit to 
crying until that child falls asleep if you're doing sleep training. Right. If it's an early morning wake up, you are letting them basically, we'll just call it very nicely, be independent until they learn when an appropriate wake time is, right? You can let them fuss, you can let them babble, you can let them cry, but I mean, set your own limit. My limit would probably be something like 30 minutes. Yeah. 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 And this is like, it is all about how long they've slept before and whether or not it will work to just let them talk to themselves. Like if they went to bed at seven and they woke up at seven, they're, they're probably going to cry until 8 a.m. because they've already slept 12 hours. Right. But if they went to bed at seven and they woke up at four, you have a lot better chance that that kid is going to go back to sleep. Right. Yeah. So I think, you know, with early wakings, you know, it's important that we have those realistic expectations of what's a normal amount of sleep and what's a normal wake-up time. And uh, once that's in place and our baby's over, we can really look at things like sufficient wake time, uh, a balance between nap and nighttime sleep duration, good sleep hygiene, and uh, using those solutions early in the morning, like that snooze button feed, that um, early morning screen usage, a little bit of co-sleeping in the morning, and... um, Toddler the toddler alarm clock. clock, yes. The toddler alarm clock, maybe your DIY nightlight on a timer so you can avoid that technical problem that Elizabeth ran into. And, uh, yeah, so early morning wake is it's really not something there's a magic bullet for. There's really just not a magic solution to get your child to sleep until 8 or 9 a.m. If your child does sleep that long and it's working for your family, that's fantastic. Don't change a thing. But, it, you know, if you're expecting that to happen and it's not happening, it's definitely worth looking at what's realistic, what the schedule looks like, and... Um, then you can understand what you might be able to do stretch you to that 6 a.m. hour. So if your child's working at 6 a.m., we can't necessarily guarantee we're going to get you that much later. If your child's waking at 4 a.m., 5 a.m., I think there's a good possibility we can stretch you a little bit farther than that. Uh, that but like Elizabeth was saying earlier, that real late, that sleeping in phenomenon, going to bed later, sleeping in, that's really something for older children. Uh, in Elizabeth's case, her six-year-old, other kids often not till puberty, not till that big growth spurt, hit, spurt hits. Well, and Ashley, I know that you're wrapping up here, but I do want to sure. add one more thing, which is that, you know, generally things tend to smooth out quite a bit when your baby's down to one nap. Absolutely. You're just juggling one nap and one night sleep stretch. And that's a time period in which you can start to adjust sleep times um, to fit your yeah, needs yeah. quite a bit. So you're saying, like, once you're down to that one nap, maybe that's the time that we can really work on shifting that schedule because things are going to be more consistent? What I'm saying is that, you know, you could have this early wake-up. It could be plaguing you, you know, from six months until, you know, 13 or 15 or 18 months. Mm-hmm. But there's a, it's a limited time. And that's, yes. in a sense, you know, that's what parenting is about, actually, is that, you're going to be suffering in some way, but for limited chunks of time for any particular problem and guaranteed your baby's going to come up with a new problem to challenge you with after you've, you know, tackled these early morning wakings. Again, there's that message of hope and change that we were going for, right? You're always going to be suffering in some way, but you are in control and you can help set everything on a great course for life. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, stay tuned and and join us in the future. We're going to be talking at some of the topics coming up soon. We're going to be talking about bedtime, when, 
what to do at bedtime, and how to teach independent sleep. That's a biggie. That's one of the most important things that we need to do in order for our child to sleep through the night and sleep past that 4 a.m. waking. We're also going to be talking about uh, sleep regressions coming up. So what Elizabeth said, you're always going to be suffering in some way. You might want to stay tuned for that sleep regressions uh, podcast coming up soon. All right. Thanks for joining me today, ladies. Bye. Thank you. Are you interested in everything sleep and parenting? Want to help your kids sleep better? Keen to learn from experts and best-selling authors? Then subscribe to the Precious Little Sleep podcast on iTunes. You can learn more by visiting the website www.precioslittlesleep.com forward slash podcast to find all episodes, show notes, and substantial additional resources. Got a suggestion or question you would like us to tackle? Drop a note on the website. And finally, if this was helpful to you, please support the podcast by leaving a review on iTunes. Cheers and tally ho!